0: Hi, I'm Mercedes. I'm an entrepreneur and director at INC. And I'm Vera, a clinical psychologist and chief people officer at Abstracta. And this is The Everything Else, a podcast about soft skills for a meaningful life. Today's episode is sponsored by INC English Services. Check out their website at inc.com.uy.
1: Oh, and welcome to episode 4 of the Everything Else. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're ready because we have an awesome show lined up for you. There's Veda, there's me, and we're talking about interculturalism, biases,
0: And diversity. Sounds like a plan, right? Yeah. And if you just landed on this episode, I recommend going back to episode three now or after finishing this one, because we where we talked about communication. And I think it's going to come in as a prequel, because many of the topics are like a good intro to the topics we're touching today. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm... I think I'm ready to get this party started. What about you, Vida? I sure am. All right. Knock yourself out. No, (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Let me get you started. So in episode three of The Everything Else, we talked a lot about the concepts of personal worldviews, how we could talk about culture as these glasses through which we see the world. And we mentioned that these cultural differences exist among very small groups, right? So we can assume that any group, whether it is at work, at school, or even my family, by definition is multicultural and therefore diverse, right? Can you throw me a definition of interculturalism?
0: (laughs) I'm going to get stuck with that one. And why we chose this topic or this soft skill? Well, yeah. According to Lustig and Coaster, inter- intercultural communication... <laughs> see, it's complicated. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get stuff many times. Intercultural communication is communication above all else. All right. That means it's a symbolic and contextual process in which people from different cultures create shared meanings. Mm-hmm. Saying intercultural refers to how these diverse worldviews interact. All right. So, in other words... The way we put it in episode three, it's how we build and cross bridges to connect with others. And this bridge building is a skill we can definitely improve, mm-hmm. right? Yep, I agree. Inter-
1: <laughs> interculturalism is just that, right? The communication we talked about, assuming people have biases, but challenging and going beyond the tendency to segregate within cultures. In essence, it's based on the recognition of both the differences and the similarities between
0: cultures. Totally. And this idea focuses on the cross-cultural dialogue to create shared meaning. I really like that description of shared meaning. And
1: I think it perhaps it helps to see this as an evolution from the idea of multiculturalism, which is sort of a thing of the past now, right? Because it had like this implicit connotation of safe distance between cultures. But here, we're talking about integration, right? It's based on contact. Now, aside from language, which is the most obvious gap, intercultural communication focuses also on
0: social attributes, thought patterns, and, and power structures. Yeah. And that worldview we spoke about so much in last, last episode, understanding another worldview or culture is understanding how and sometimes why different people act, communicate, and perceive the world around us differently, right? Yeah. And part of this self-segregation we were mentioning, I like we it. need to challenge this because this is an essential element of culture. This configuration of invisible boundaries. This has always existed, right? This Definitely, us-versus-them yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. And this clash between different groups of people are a result many times of our own biases, which can be conscious or unconscious, but these biases are there because they just happen. They are like shortcuts our brains have, and we can't deal without them.
1: All right, hold up, because um, I want to go into a bit more, more detail about this, because as in everything we talk about in this show, I feel that we tend to think that this is something that happens to other people, right? I don't have biases. He has biases and prejudice. That's why it's such a blind spot, right? Because I'm not aware of it. And we all have biases. It's impossible not to, right? And neuroscience tells us that a bias is a very subtle cognitive process that starts in the amygdala, which is a part of our brain. And It processes so much, like humongous amounts of data, so much so that in order to survive, it needs to categorize the data and make inferences. Yeah. So these mental shortcuts that you mentioned, they sort
0: of make it faster and easier for the brain to sort through all of this data. Yes, and these are biological mechanisms that have played a crucial role to our survival and our own evolution as a species. So now that these same mechanisms also can lead to what is now being called a mind bug. Yeah. it's being referred as an ingrained habit of thought that leads to errors in how we perceive, remember, reason and make decisions. Can can you give me an example of this? How do we see this in everyday life, these mind bugs? Well, because even before I utter a word, my brain has already been putting together lots of information of the other person. And with that jumping into assumptions, these um, assumptions are exactly that assumptions that should be challenged yes it's pre-judgment it's previously conceived ideas of what the other person is like. So this can be based on anything. Maybe we think of different differences like religious, social, ethnic, but educational backgrounds. Like these are the obvious ones. But it can be virtually anything. And what is mind-blowing, at least for us in our talks, is how these ideas trigger others and sometimes the noise becomes so big that communication between the different parts becomes difficult, if not impossible. Yeah, because you're looking like for patterns. So individually, we have These biases, right? And culturally,
1: we have them too, because cultural groups have collective biases. (laughs) Now, the interesting issue is when we talk about collective uh, biases and culture. What what does culture mean today when the physical boundaries are so blurred? What does culture refer to exactly when like, a friend of mine in Prague drinks Uruguayan mate because of its antioxidant attributes and someone in Alabama has a K-pop band, right? The, The internet, social media globalization,
0: it's shifting cultural perceptions and the definition even of culture. Totally. Like functional groups create culture also, not just countries or religions. Think accountants within a company, people working in IT, teachers.
1: Yeah. If people (laughs) saw the memes that we share in
0: our teachers group at Inc., they would have no clue what we're talking about. And that's exactly it. It's not just about jobs. It can be any particular culture of a company. It can be a social or political group vegans, feminists, environmentalists, some religious or political groups can generate culture too. Not because of their particular beliefs, but because people in these groups are spending more time together. They are with people who agree with them. They are organizing meaning in this way.
1: And what's amazing, for me at least, is that these functional groups often mean that you have more in common with people of another country than from your own. Like, if I'm a gamer, which I'm not, as anyone... (laughs) who knows me slightly knows, um, but if I am a gamer, that will unite me even closer with another gamer from India and possibly much more than with a
0: non-gamer from my own country, right? Right. Now, this is not just about what we do, right? Mm-hmm. The, the The point is the people within one boundary communicate differently than with people from outside the boundary. They yeah. create this common language, Joke, the jokes, yeah. the jargon, mm. right? habits, ways of working, you name
1: it. And and we react quite predictably when confronted with new cultures. Uh, in fact, Milton Bennett, he's a famous American sociologist, he created the DMIS, which is a model of intercultural sensitivity as a framework to explain the reactions of people to cultural differences and as a way to describe intercultural cultural competence, which is a thing, right? And yep. it's a soft skill that we're discussing today. So he organized um, these observations into six stages of increasing sensitivity to cultural differences. Now, you guys can Google the specifics if you're interested in the details, because there, there are a lot of details. But in essence, there are basically two groups of people, right? Right ethnocentric and
0: ethno-relative, right, Veda? Yeah, he creates these two categories which are great to gain awareness of this skill of intercultural competence that we feel is so important to develop nowadays. Hmm. Now, roughly speaking, he describes someone as ethnocentric as when one's cultural experience is the only valid one, when other cultures are trivialized, laughed at, Hmm. thought of as inferior, and this person feels highly threatened and critical of other cultures. Right. And then there's The ethno-relative people, which means these people see the world through different eyes. They make changes to their behavior and move in and out of different worldviews. They are aware of the differences, but can also see the similarities. They remain flexible. They can change those glasses we spoke about in episode three and have a more empathetic view. Yeah, or at least like peep through,
1: like (laughs) peep peep over the glasses. Well, the thing (laughs) is,
0: exactly, the level (laughs) between these two. So
1: this is it's true, though, because what what moves us uh, or is life changing about really coexisting with any culture in any format, at least for me, is the realization that our norms and customs, which we thought were set in stone or were objective, they're, they're not. We're biased. And as you mentioned before, it's good to challenge them. And dare I say that the only way to actually challenge them
0: is through diverse settings. Yep. Now, before we trivialize this and make this black or white, good or bad, as most things are seen nowadays, Mm. I feel I need to warn everybody that this ethno-relativity is easier said than done. And what may come as supernatural in some contexts, it might not in others. Yeah, I
1: feel like I've been through all of the stages, depending on who's in front of me. And in some contexts and and some cultures, it's been very, very difficult for me to move through the stages. I'm like stuck in...
0: Yeah. Stage and one. <laughs> because this happens all the time, whether we regard it as a macro level or we analyze this in interactions in much smaller groups, like families, social cliques or in organizations. Mm. But like with languages and culture, we need both of these forces to strike a fairly healthy balance because there is a force that is reluctant to change the one that hangs more on what it was like and the other one the one that embraces change that immediately projects into something new yeah this balance exactly what this balance looks like for each of us will be personal it varies even with age or with culture with context Mm. now broadly speaking as it always is the case when we talk about cultures. Yeah, yeah. But some cultures are more open to change in general, while others are more reluctant to it.
1: Yeah, and, and it's one thing to travel for business, for example, and make some short-term changes to communication or behaviour if you're just having like one conversation with somebody, so that you can participate appropriately in a cross-cultural encounter. We'll talk about a little bit more about this in the bonus track next week, but it's really something else to embrace that bridge that you want to build in the long term, right? This intercultural bridge. For example, if you have a long-term project with an overseas client or to bring it even more micro, like you said today, when someone in your family or a friend embraces a new change, like they become political activists, different to your political inclinations or vegan or or something like that, then you have to encourage this cultural exchange to be mutual or two-way. Like it takes two to tango right like they say and not not just you adapting but also ensuring that the other adapts too so that you can coordinate that meaning that you were talking about and it's hard as fuck right (laughs) yeah exactly compromising but um you know there's all that noise that we spoke about in the last episode but when you do it when intercultural adaptation is successful and it's many times is yeah yeah it's, hope. it's completely possible mm. it's really hard but it's i think you you have to want to do it like we yeah we always talk about the same thing right But when it's successful, it tends to create this third culture in which two or more cultural patterns are themselves coordinated into a third culture.
0: You know, I love the concept of third cultures. Of course you do.
1: Because like me, you're a third culture kid, you know, and you don't belong only to one place like you described yourself. And this this doesn't only happen if you lived abroad. It happens in companies like at Inc., for example, we have people from like eight different nationalities. And this third culture would be like the Inc culture that we try so hard to create it must happen at abstracta right working with people from all across the country and overseas
0: yeah what happens at abstracta for me is frankly fascinating because we're constantly working on what our culture is because culture you know is something that happens as a result of our actions our everyday interactions it's not the banners on the wall (laughs) (sighs) we are intercultural by nature within our offices because we are around the country, but also as we provide services to other companies, and we interact and integrate with all these other cultures. Mm. Now, this is something that is a strength of our team, but it's also part of our DNA. Yeah. We come from Uruguay, this small country in Latin America, and we work for many companies in Silicon Valley, right? So in the world of IT, being in Silicon Valley means something different uh, than being in Uruguay, yeah. at least in people's imagination. Yeah, from mine. Definitely. <laughs> we understand this and we set off being the bilingual ones, the ones who are not only understanding Silicon Valley culture but also understanding our own. So we assume at the beginning a large part of the bridge building and yeah. crossing is on us. Yeah, I say a large part because some interest on the other end always is needed, of right? Of course, yes. But after some time collaborating you start witnessing how this third culture arises and surprises all the parties involved. It's just amazing. Yeah, and you know this competence in intercultural communication is called intercultural intelligence and it's full of online tests to see what your cq is yeah it's a skill (laughs) it's a thing people (laughs) so those who have worked to develop their own intercultural intelligence are able to bring people together and start creating the third cultural space you know building that bridge yeah and there's always something there to build that bridge right something that will connect you yep you know, I enjoy quoting and there's oh, this... no! <laughs> yeah. there is a famous quote by Terence. He was a former slave in Roman times. Then he became a playwright and coined this famous Latin saying that reads, I am human and I think nothing human is alien to me. Yeah. This summarizes beautifully how even when it's not so obvious, if you give it time, we could manage to resonate with virtually anybody. Yeah, some, some people, I think, might have a tough time believing this. Yeah, again, this can be more obvious more superficial or more unconscious. But this is not just liking the same music or having the same jobs. This is mostly connected to the fact that we're all humans and humans, we all have these fundamental sources of anxiety in common.
1: Yeah. Have you seen that movie Humans? No, I haven't actually. You can find it on YouTube, I think. It is just headshots of people from different cultures, completely different socioeconomical backgrounds. And it's amazing how... We're all so much the same, right? Like it's uh, the same. It's so basic. Yep. It's the noise. Yeah. So it seems urgent to find ways to define and value ourselves without diminishing others, right? This, This clash that we were talking about and appreciating what we have and learning from the other cultures, right? Seeing
0: beyond the otherness. Oof. Otherness, what a concept. <laughs> Other people are others. It seems obvious, but understanding this has such profound implications.
1: Yeah, otherness, just not just in language or in nationality, as we said, right? It's gender, age, abilities, experiences.
0: Experiences.
1: Communication styles. And different concepts of, of self and attitude attitudes towards death and life,
0: right? Diversity. <laughs> Intercultural awareness is... A way of celebrating this diversity in yeah. essence. Yeah. Opening up to other realities and different opinions. Hmm. You know, seeing it's compromise difficult. not as something negative, but as part of the process of creating this third culture with people of all backgrounds, race, ages, genders. Yeah. You know... Like everybody has something unique to bring to the table. I know it's a cliche, but it really is true. But cliches exist for a reason, right? Like yeah, there's a lot of
1: times you end up repeating. Like, to oh, remind it's so us, yeah, but to
0: remind us, to remind
1: us. Yes, and truly diverse teams that coordinate this meaning that we were talking about—it's it, game changing. Think about how all this otherness can contribute to providing more unique solutions and approaches, right? How this diversity can challenge your own biases. But we're not quite there in terms of diversity, not just in our own Twitter accounts, <laughs> but uh, in the workplace, too. I'm going to give you some examples. Um, female executive repre- representation remains below 25% worldwide. 25 percent worldwide. Twenty five fucking percent. <laughs> and a U.N. study found that in college graduates with disabilities, the employment rate is only 50 percent. Without college degrees, it's even lower. I think it's like 30 yeah, sure. percent. In the U.S., people of color represent only 3.2 of sea level positions. The numbers are really, really depressing. So aside from the fact that it seems, well, basically fair to give everyone the same opportunities, um, if you're still reluctant over there on the other side listening to this, thinking blah, blah, diversity, blah, blah, we have brought
0: facts to convert you. Yeah. Because in companies where all this is encouraged, people come up with wider scope of ideas and options. We find different perspectives, and this can make a company more resilient, more able to bounce back from shocks and crises. Mm. This all seems like pretty important <laughs> skills for the decade. But I know I'm not giving the facts, so I'll go to the facts.
1: Hit us with the facts, Vera.
0: Yes. BCG has estimated that return over equity is 53% higher in companies that have more diverse leadership teams. That's amazing. It's a huge number. In these companies, there's 6% more profit, 19% more innovation. And McKinsey's inclusion and diversity report proved that companies with more diverse teams were 25% more likely to experience above-average profitability, and in general have a tendency to financially outperform non-diverse companies. I wanted to read this exactly <laughs> the way it's said in the report because I, I want you to really get this.
1: The numbers are amazing. And you know what? I can't, I can't help but think about tech companies in this sense of diversity, right? It seems essential that those who are building our technological future and AI have as diverse a
0: background as possible to provide these other perspectives, right? Yeah. Well, technology refers to tools, right? Tools maximize our possibilities. Now, the interesting thing here is that these tools are built by humans. Mm -hmm. And if those involved in the processes are not so good at this intercultural competence and are not aware of their own biases and glasses through which they see the world and how relative these are... Whatever it is that they create, it's going to replicate them. Yeah, and this doesn't end in creation of the tools. It's also relevant for the implementation of the tools, how it's used. Yeah, and we can see examples of of
1: this uh, of these fails in facial recognition apps, right? Which fail when minorities use it, and biases that show up in AI related to gender or race in the selection of CVs and interview processes, right? It's basically replicating the biases of those who are coding. I'm not. I'm not going to say my li- own <laughs> or Designing or them. designing. I'm not going to say my own biases about who
0: those people are. No, because we all have biases.
1: So we seem to be running out of time. So can we answer our two questions just as a sort of summary? Why is interculturalism and diversity important for business
0: owners to take into account? Well, I think the numbers we just presented are stronger than anything we can come up with. Yeah, so diverse companies like have 53% return over equity, 6% more profit, more innovation. And remember, diversity makes your company 25% more likely to experience above average profitability. Do
1: it for the numbers. All right. Uh, Why would it be important for me as an individual?
0: Well, diversity is a part of life. And I know that at times of social media, its algorithm and mechanisms seem to operate as an eco-chamber where diversity fades away. But beyond that... Remember, what happens in the real world when you go to work, when you go on a date, when you need something from somebody, you will always need to interact with somebody who is different from you. I definitely think that this has been very important throughout history, but now it's more relevant than ever because we are exercising and becoming better in this coexistence. will be good for you. Exercise this tolerant muscle. For those who are closer to you, this will be good. And eventually, this will be important to live in a more tolerant community. Oof, because definitely. mutual respect always seems best. Ah,
1: oh, spot on. You're, you, you rock. <laughs> so with all this in mind, I am going to send you guys homework. Um, it's just thinking homework, right? So don't freak out. <laughs> yeah. I want you to imagine <laughs> you're talking to somebody you don't know about your country How would you describe your culture? What things would you talk about so that he or she becomes well-prepared for interacting with somebody from your culture? And the second one is, imagine you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you are going to meet their parents. What would your partner say about you to warn the parents or the family? (laughs) In other words, which labels do you carry? Uh what are those things that people see in you right away? I think this exercise might help us
0: to identify our own biases. What mm-hmm. do you think, Vina? Yeah, and what people see of us, the noise that we are transmitting. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> That was quite a handful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I hope you
1: guys do the homework. We look forward to hearing your comments in the form of uh, whatever, comments, comments on our stories, audio messages, emails, anything that you send us, we love. Um, Bonus track with tips on this will be out next Wednesday. And I hope you enjoy that too. Please be tolerant. Meanwhile, (laughs) thank you. Bye.
0: Are you following us on social media? Join our community. This is an ongoing conversation. We are the Everything Else podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from.